Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. So today we are going to be talking about our call and vocation. Um, now this is sort of setting up a, a, a the next couple of conversations that we're going to be having as we jump into talking about orders of ministry. Uh, we'll be getting to that part of the prayer book that has ordination of a deacon, ordination of a priest, and ordination of a bishop. Um, and so we wanted to kind of introduce those things by just talking about um, call and what does it mean to be called um, and to talk about vocation um, since those uh, since those things often go together as we think about what is God calling us to do with our lives and with our life's energy. So that's the conversation that we've got um, today. Uh, anything you want to say to introduce us, Justin? Well, my name is Justin, and this is Bryn, <laughs> just by way of introduction. No, I, um, I I think for me, there's a couple things I think we're going to circle back to that I just want to point out. One is a lot of what we've talked about through this this season of the the first season of Lit, where we we set the stage very early on in episode one and two around the spiritual life. Um, and how we can develop that uh, by using the prayer book and what the litur- the rich liturgies of this church allow us and provide for us. And I think for me, this conversation today, all of that's going to come to bear because here's where we're going to calling is where we take this, uh, our spiritual disciplines and we start to see the outflow of them. And what I mean by that is I'm going to just by way of sharing my own call story to the ordained ministry, which is one example of a call to vocation. I, uh, if you'd asked me when I was in high school, I would have said I was going to be a pilot or I was going to be a, um, a builder like my dad. I loved, I love business. I love the business of building homes and developing land. I love those things. I had deep passion for them, but there was always some emptiness there. So, when I was about 16, I had this really funny dream and I've told several churches I've served and I believe I've told St. Luke's this, but my call story to the priesthood was very weird. I, I went to bed, I had a dream of an old, I say an old fifties diner, obviously was not alive in the fifties to say if this is accurate, it could be earlier, or it could be a little later. But it was one of those diners with the big glass uh, windows, uh, the counter, the the seats, the benches, the tables, and the like the big boy spinny sign. <laughs> so the big boy sign said priest, and then all loaded up in the diner uh, were bishops and priests, all in their clergy shirts. So I knew who they were, obviously being a cradle Episcopalian acolyte. Uh, forcefully at times, I knew, <laughs> I knew, I knew kind of a little bit enough to be dangerous, if you will. And that was it. And I just kind of woke up and I was standing on a hillside by the sign or looking down at the sign. And it was just kind of flashing. So I went went downstairs and told my mom, I had this weird dream. I think maybe I'm supposed to be a priest or something. And she like totally had to freak out. Really? You be a priest? Really? Like that's where your head's at? Um, I think she's basing it off my behaviors at that point in time in my life. <laughs> um but she took it seriously, and I ended up visiting with the priest where I did some of the things that I think are important when we when we talk about calling. I started discerning. I started having conversations with 
clergy and other lay folk uh, around my home parish of Christ Church Frederica. I was able to explore ministry in a very real way because of my rector. He let me come and intern in the summers. I got to be a part of different ministry call uh, ministry jobs and, and, and roles that he had as the rector. So it just kind of got me thinking about it. And the more I found myself involved in, in the life of the church in a different way than I had been prior to that point, that, that something started to ignite inside of me that was so different than being a pilot or being a builder. I love those things. I would love to go fly. I would love to be able to go fly. But I deeply love what I do as a priest and what I'm called to do. But I say that by way of saying that that calling and that discerning is still happening today. Like it didn't just stop when I went to seminary. Like I'm still discerning what this vocation looks like. And I do that in my prayer life, in my study, in my in the way that I participate in the liturgies uh, to deepen my spirituality. And that's what calling is all about. I mean, it's it's about really figuring out and listening for the voice of God in the context of the world in which you are placed. Um, some would say in the mission field where you are planted, where is God urging you to act and to serve? That very calling has moved me all across the United States. I've lived, I'm from Georgia. I've lived in Florida. Now I'm in Texas. I've been in two different parts of Texas and I don't know what's next. I don't know. I, the mission field as I see it in my life is, is, is the world. And I, and I think that's why I have, even in the midst of serving congregations in the continental U.S., also, also have developed deep relationships with people all over the world in the form of return mission trips and deepening my mission work. And I think that's just all of that is a constant pursuit of me deepening my spirituality and truly listening to God as best I can. And that's the hard part. Right? That's the hard part of calling is listening and not talking, but really listening and noticing what's in front of me and what might God be telling me in this moment um, in front of me. What about you, Bryn? What are you thinking? Well, I I also was a young person when I first started to um, discern a call. And this was, you know, way before I had any kind of language about discernment or call but I also grew up in the Episcopal Church, and as a you know adolescent, I I loved our church. I loved being there. I loved the people who um, cared for me. Uh, it was a big part of my family's life, and I especially loved the priests that we had. So we had two um, priests, rector and an associate rector, Father Shannon and Father Jim, and I just adored both of them. And I think my first. Um, the first way that I heard my call was in just admiring these two people and wanting to do what they did. And I didn't even exactly know what a priest did other than what I saw them do on Sunday and, um, you know, the programs that we went to, but I wanted to be like them. I wanted to do what they were doing. Um, and so all through high school, um, that was sort of my career path was I, I, I wanted to become a priest. I wanted to do what you needed to do in order to become a priest. Um, by the time I got to college, uh, though, and uh, had a kind of circuitous roundabout way of getting there. And by the time I really went um, to do my undergraduate for, for the second attempt anyway, I had a, a failed first attempt 
Um, but that's a story for another time. Um, but by then I, I went back and I, I pretty much had forgotten all about this call by then. I had a family, had two kids, two little boys and was married and um, went back really with just more practical things in mind and was thinking, you know, like I, I, I can't become a priest now, like that just wouldn't work. Um, and so I was going to be a lawyer. I thought that would, you know, be a good use of my interests and my skills and, um, you know, would be something that I liked to do. So I was studying philosophy and really intent on becoming a lawyer. And um, at, at one point, the the bishop in Utah at the time, Carolyn Tanner Irish, um, who was very good to me, good person, um, she called me up one day and asked if I would um, be our diocesan uh, sort of liaison for Episcopal Relief and Development. And the first first role um, that I would, or thing that I would have to do in that role would be to attend their annual network meeting. And it was in, um, in Louisiana, uh, uh, right, uh, I guess it was about a year and a half after Hurricane Katrina. Um, and uh, so we went to New Orleans and uh, a lot of the work that we did was to tour these different places that were um, being helped after the hurricane and um, get to meet with all of these people who um, had um, been involved in the recovery effort, which was, you know, a year and a half later was still really ongoing. There was a lot to be done. And one of the things that became um, that I became really aware of uh, while I was there was that like half of the people that we talked to, I mean, I counted it up at one point, it was like seven different people um, that we talked to along the way were former attorneys, like they had been lawyers. And as they would tell their story about how they had come to be involved in this relief work, they all had these stories about how they felt like they had been called to be, um, you know, lawyers and they wanted to do good work and they wanted to be involved in the work of justice. They wanted to be involved in all of these things that I also thought were such great things. Um, and they didn't find that in those jobs. And once there was a need for them that arose um, in this recovery effort after the hurricane, they really found their true calling. And that just really stunned me at the time. And I really started to listen to that. Like, maybe I'm not supposed to be a lawyer. Maybe that's not how I'm supposed to live out this call. Um, maybe there's something different for me. And that really began began a period of like intense prayer and discernment that that resulted in me um, discerning that I was hearing a call to the priesthood and and started discerning that work, you know, with the help of a spiritual director and, um, you know, the the rector of my congregation and all of that, um, you know, and here I am like 15 years later. <laughs> I think if you unpack this, it becomes clear that our two stories, and I said this at the beginning of mine, were calls about vocation. But if we even step back from that um, and just think about calling, those are happening all the time. God is constantly speaking to us all the time. We just don't always listen or we're not always prepared to listen. Or sometimes we hear and we don't know what to do. Uh, fear might take over or anxiety. Uh, we're just not 
present. I know for me at different moments in my life, I usually hear the voice of God um, in in others, in conversations. Like, for example, one time I was, um, and this is before ordination, so I was in college and I was, I was really struggling with a particular class uh, in my core requirements. And I, just, I was praying about it uh, because it just wasn't doing what I needed to do or getting the grade I needed to just get the class uh, kind of done um, to just check the box. Um, and and I just could not figure out for the life of me what was going on. I'd been praying and I kind of was like a lot of folks, I think. And this is kind of, as I look back on it, such a small part of my life, but it wasn't insignificant in my mind at the time. And I'm always clear with people that it's nobody's business what's significant in your life and what's insignificant. That's yours. It's yours to figure out. Um, and I say that too, uh, by way, Brent, in this pandemic, um, that I've noticed that we haven't always been charitable, not we, you and me, but humanity hasn't always been charitable to their fellow brothers and sisters about stresses of this pandemic on their lives mm-hmm. by dismissing them. In particular, our youngest people by saying, oh, well, who cares if you missed your prom or who cares if you missed this? And to them, that's significant, mm-hmm. the significant upheaval of their life. Um, so this is what was happening. Besides, I look back, I realized I can say this is the person who lived it. This is not super significant. But at the time, I was praying, and I did what a lot of people do. It's like, God, why are you not helping me? Like, what, what's going on here? Like, I need this class to do this so I can then do that. And then I'll, I'll go to seminary. Like, I'll do it. Like, I'll do it. Um and I remember a friend looking at me and, um, and, and had no clue. That, you know, I say a friend is more of an acquaintance, somebody in the class. We did a little study group who said, hey, Justin, why don't you try this approach to learning this? Uh, uh, and this was physics, um, learning the, this way of, of thinking about how to solve the problem. Why don't you think about it this way versus, you know, essentially the way the book outlines it? And this thing was standing, this, 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 this a way of solving the problem was in front of me the whole time, but I was so glued to what I thought I had to do mm-hmm. that this thing was just staring at me, just like a big flashing light. And it wasn't until this friend was like, do it that way. Next thing I know, all of a sudden my grades turned around completely. I fly through physics. Don't ever really want to go back to it, but I flew through <laughs> physics. And it was strictly, and I had been praying and praying and praying, but I wasn't listening. Mm-hmm. There was, I think it's one of those times where, Classically, it was right in front of me, but I was so caught up in what I wanted to hear that I was missing what was right in front of me. And it's ironic, too, to this day that that class and that experience and some of the work that I had to do for that class has actually come to bear in other parts of my life, especially when I was working with youth um, in the form of tutoring and just thinking through some things by way of getting people thinking uh, differently about their faith. So I kind of laugh that this one seemingly insignificant moment now that I, I say that now uh, moment of my life has actually come back to bear on my ministry in some pretty funny ways uh, since then. Um, and I think that's just classic. You know, I think we all, we all struggle with the listening and preparing ourselves, creating that soil t- to really hear, you know, you see this with the disciples constantly, you know, we all remember when they're all called, Right. They're all called Jesus, very depending on your gospel account. Essentially, Jesus walks down, down along the water and invites them to follow him. And they drop their nets and become fishers of men. That's one way. The other is he calls a couple and then they call some others. which I love that story. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, they're called and they, they come and follow. And for whatever reason, I have to imagine 
that for whatever reason, the gospel writers just didn't capture it. But I had to imagine there was some back and forth of, wait, what? You just want me to stop doing what I know how to do and just completely leave my family and go where? <laughs> I have to imagine something like that happened, uh, given the humanity of the disciples. And I say that because as they follow Jesus, how often do we remember accounts where they're not listening to what Jesus is telling them and they're mm-hmm. constantly questioning and constantly missing it. Think about the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. Mm-hmm. Hey, we want to be on your right and your left. And their mother comes and advocates on their behalf, but they have no clue because they haven't been paying attention that if you want to be on my right and my left, do you really want to go through what I'm about to go through? And he's told them mm-hmm. several times at this point, in the gospel story. Then there's Peter who I love Peter because I think he reminds us of our own humanity. Mm-hmm. Jesus is sitting there telling him what he's going to do, who he is, and then Peter drowns in the water almost, and then Peter denies him, and then Peter totally is like, no, I'm not going to let you do that, Jesus. And, of course, Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. Yep. Not that he sees Peter as Satan, but, again, Peter, just like us, is so involved in what he thinks he needs or wants to do that he's not listening to where maybe God is calling him and these are the disciples. These are the ones that now we call Saint Peter, Saint Bartholomew, Saint John, Saint James. Yeah. Um, and they go down the line. And I think that's important because they model for us that constant yin and yang of call and listening, call and listening mm-hmm. in a very real way. Yeah. I think one of the other things that is interesting about all of these different call stories that we have from the Bible. Um, is just that people are called into a particular context, that there's always some context for it, that we, we're not just called in this sort of vacuum way, like you're supposed to be something or do something, but it's always connected to where you are. And so that listening, that paying attention, I think has to happen um, in whatever context you are. Like it's going to happen for you um, to discern what's needed around you, you know? Um, and we talked about this before and it, um, the sort of famous Frederick Beekner quote about vocation is that a vocation is where your deepest desire meets the world's great need. And I think that's a lovely way of thinking about vocation because it is going to be some, intersection of the thing that really ignites you, the thing that you have a passion and an interest and, um, you know, some real energy for, but also where you see that there's a need for it in the world. Um, and I think that's just a a testament to the way God works, that God prepares us for, for mission, for work in the world. And I think God prepares the world, um, to, to have us. I think the classic example in scripture isn't the ones I just gave for the disciples. Actually, I think if you want to see this clearly, the contextualized nature of a call, you just go look at the prophets in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel is the three big ones. And I actually would say the 12 minor prophets. Yeah. If you go to the little pages after the major prophets, um, you clearly see what they're what they were called into and where exactly where God needed them to act. And it's kind of ironic in our day and age that we don't, all that's gotten so political, you know, but they were called in to speak to very deep human needs and human injustices. I mean, no one can tell me, no one can tell me that you can read the prophetic literature, particularly the minor prophets, and tell me they're not talking about justice and they're not talking about equality and they're not talking yeah. about 
um, the way that humans are treating each other. Um, and it's in that same vein that Jesus comes into the world too, not to get off on a tangent. But my point is there's a contextualized nature to that call. Mm-hmm. And one would say when God chose to enter into humanity in a particular way in Jesus Christ, that was contextualized to that time and place. And it has a long lasting benefits beyond that physical, the physical existence of Jesus walking the earth. Um, but it's still, there is always a contextualized nature to it. In other words, one, what a priest once told me when I was struggling with ministry to blossom where I was planted. Mm. And I used to get so annoyed when, when they would say this to me, say you blossom where you're planted. <laughs> but, uh, but now I get it. I get it because if you're trying so hard to be where you're not, it's really hard to hear where God might be asking you to, to live in that moment. If you're trying to move yourself to some other kind of soil. Yeah. But if you can just plant yourself and be still, pray, study and read, I think doors start to, at least handles start to loosen up, locks start to turn. We start to unlock doors in our own hearts and minds. And I think we start to walk through and really powerful things happen. uh, When, uh, especially when you can think of times when large groups of humans um, do that, where really profound change happens. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things worth pointing out too, is that we've, We've so far, especially in you and I talking about our our call to ministry, um, it's it's maybe tempting to think about call as something then that's you know related to your career and that um, you know and that that has to be some kind of holy career or something that's related to the church. But but what we really believe as Christians is that all of us are called that we're called just in virtue of our baptism, um, that we're called to serve God and to serve God's people. And, you know, what we've been talking about through this whole uh, series on liturgy and discipleship is just the ways in which our prayer book and our liturgy and our resources equip people to answer their calls um, in all of the ways that we're called. Um, So, you know, we've studied baptism and we've, you know, we're getting ready to study the other ordained um, ministries of the church. Um, but I just want to really highlight the fact that, that we're all called into some kind of vocation. And it might be, you know, it, it changes over time. Um, discernment is an ongoing thing. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you're in your, you know, 20s and trying to figure out what you're going to do for your, your life's work, or whether you're in your 70s and you're retired and you're trying to, you know, imagine what is it that God is calling you to do now that you have more time um, to give to something, that those are all times that God is speaking. And that there are numerous ways that God calls us, um, that it's an ongoing thing, um, and that it does always require that that paying attention um, and I think one of the things that really strikes me about the the Frederick Beekner quote about your your deepest desire meeting the world's great need is that it requires you paying attention to two things in particular. You have to pay attention to what is in your heart. Like, what do you really want? Because we believe that God speaks to us that way, that God speaks, you know, through this language of the heart. 
um, and through our desire. And then we have to pay attention to the world around us. We have to pay attention to, yeah, where is it that we're planted? Um, where is it that we have an opportunity to, to blossom? Um, no matter where we are, there's always going to be that opportunity because God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is always calling us and is always wanting us to be serving God and serving each other. What, where would you, how would you answer this question? I'd put you on the spot. I'm going to put you on the spot because that's what I do, Bryn. <laughs> how do I Bring know it. I'm listening when I'm thinking about the desires of my heart? How do I know that those are not, we'll say, selfish desires versus maybe where God is pulling me? Mm, that's a good question. I think we've all struggled with that at some point. Um, I think one is through prayer, that prayer helps us to listen to our hearts better um, because prayer helps us to put our hearts into the, you know, lift our hearts to God. Um, and so it doesn't happen immediately, I, or although for some it does. Some some people have that kind of like lightning bolt moment of of inspiration, but that hasn't been my experience. My experience has been sometimes of praying for a really long time. Um, and I think the other part of that is having somebody to pray and listen with you whether that's a spiritual director, some kind of um, spiritual mentor, a really close spiritual friend, um, your priest, somebody who can help listen with you. And, you know, that's that's built into the discernment process that, that we as clergy have to go through. We have a lot of listening partners to help us to figure out um, what God is calling us into and how we can listen um, but I think for any of us, that can be a really important thing, just to have somebody to to reflect with on on those things. So I think that's a good question. And I would say I was going to say something very similar, just in fairness to my to answer my own question. I uh, I actually I'll, I'll use this. I can't think of the exact name of Brene Brown's Dare to Lead, um, but she describes you having a group of people around you, a small group of people that are very trusted individuals in your life, you mm. know, will tell you the truth, but also listen deeply with you. And I think to Bryn's point, I agree with that prayer and then praying with somebody. So usually when I'm discerning, is this something that's born from me exclusively? I pick up the phone and call somebody like Bryn, or I call a friend of mine and say, here's what I'm thinking. What are y'all, what are you hearing? And I have a handful of folks I do that with. I have a couple staff members here at St. Luke's that I do that with. And then and I have a, a, a colleagues and I just have family, friends. Um, even now, actually, the stage in life and a positive development, my own family, my brother and I are really rekindled our connection. And this is something I used to do with him when I was younger that I'm, I find myself doing again now is batting around ideas with him just mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, you need those people that you can pray and think with um, who can look at you and say, yeah, I don't, maybe you think about that some more. Yeah. And the only other thing I've done is when I'm not sure is I kind of play it out in my mind. Like if I do this, what's going to happen? And usually it becomes very clear if I'm the only one benefiting from it, then I start to wonder, mm -hmm. <laughs> I need to think about that. But if I see that there's impact and it's, and it's cross, there's a cross section with other human beings and other children of God, then I'm like, oh, there probably is something to this. There's some merit in this. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of my way of answering that question and things I do practically in my own life. But it is hard. It's a very tough question because we have fears, anxieties, stresses that can all and self-preservation. I mean, we are yeah. inherently have our animal. I call it the animalistic side 
that is survival mode. I mean, sometimes we are just in survival mode. So, yeah. And it's just kind of parsing all of that out and giving ourselves grace. If we can give, we don't really give grace. Let me be careful with that. Giving ourselves permission mm-hmm. and forgiving ourselves when we don't do it well. I think beating ourselves up is not always the best approach when we know we might have missed it. Uh, we just have to, you have to start where you are uh, and that's where you are and you just keep going. Life is a series of directional changes yeah. and, the, and the boat keeps moving. So we just keep turning the wheel as best we can. Yeah. So this conversation has really been to just introduce um, the the next couple of conversations that we're going to talk about. So uh, before we end today, um, we'll just give you a little preview into what's coming next. So we're going to talk, uh, I think, in our next episode about apostolic succession, which is going to be um, a sort of important theological idea that we're going to unpack um, we're hoping to have the help of a, a guest with us who uh, is, you know, much smarter than Justin and I, who can <laughs> help to uh, expound on on this uh, pretty significant uh, topic. Um, but it's also a really fascinating topic um, that has uh, invigorated the church from from the beginning, um, from from the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, which we'll celebrate on Pentecost. So we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about the different orders of ministry um, because those are really intimately connected to apostolic succession. So we're going to talk about the role of a deacon, um, the role of a priest, and the role of a bishop. And we're hoping to have some um, guests to help us talk about that too. So um, just a little preview of of what's going to come next. And we hope that you will join us for all of those conversations. Um, As a reminder, if you're hearing this conversation and it's sort of sparking some curiosity in you, if maybe you're thinking about something that you feel called to, or you're wondering about some resources or tools to continue in, in the work of discernment, we would really invite you to, to connect with us and um, to reach out to, to Justin or to me. Um, our emails are in the show notes and we would love to talk to you um, and, you know, help, help you the best that we can. Um, Cause we really believe that discernment is something that we're all doing uh, and that we are all called. Yeah, we're all called. And I think I want us just to keep this conversation as the foundational piece as we enter into these next um, very specific uh, dives into those orders of ministry and, and, and how those came about. Because underneath it all is this concept and idea of being called. So we look forward to it. I think it's an exciting next, uh, next several weeks we have lined up for us. And uh, we'll have some guests on, as Bryn said. It'll be fun. So thank you. As we always say, thank you for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. Lit is a production of the Reverend Bryn Bond and Justin Yon, Episcopal Priest in Austin, Texas. Music is provided by Alitu. We encourage you and invite you to send your questions to us via the emails you'll find in the show notes below. We will ask, uh, answer them on air at a future date. And we so appreciate your listenership.